Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. You know, no longer are you sending in the old key account manager to talk to a buyer. You've got to have, you know, the marketing people, the media people, and all the rest at the table. So there's silos all over the place to kind of make some of that stuff work in our sort of omni-channel and e-commerce space in particular. But the fundamentals come to, you know, can you get the right people talking to each other? You know, is your communication good? Are you planning you know, much more kind of sequentially and in a joined up way. And so we spent a lot of time thinking about that rather than necessarily kind of changing the structures too much at this stage. We have to hold on to, it's got to be the right thing we're building for consumers here in order for that to work. Because if we don't get it right for our consumers, then we all fail. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofsetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Sarah, I, I know you feel this way because we've spoken about it in the past, but like no matter what size the company is, no matter what they're selling, everyone is trying to answer the same questions. Well, yeah. And, you know, sometimes the bigger they are, the harder they fall or the bigger they are, the more dysfunctional they can be, or the bigger they are, the more hands on deck, but bigger doesn't necessarily mean faster or smarter. I think actually people that are sitting in the bigger organizations have ostensibly a harder job despite having theoretically more resources now. Yeah. And often it's because of their size. I think that they're further away from the sun. And their ability to make changes is just so much harder. Well, there's the leading with influence. There's leading with control. There's leading with expertise. Control rarely works. Influence can work depending on other factors. But yeah, it's hard to move big boulders. And it's funny because I was was actually talking to a woman I was mentoring yesterday. And she was talking to me about how she feels like her how her resume just doesn't set her up to work at a big company. And I'm like, well, do you want to work at a big company? She's like, I don't know. I just feel like that's what I should want. I'm like, well, there's no such thing as what you should want. It's really, you know, what, what ultimately gives you, you know, fulfillment and meaning and all this other stuff. And she's generally worked at very scrappy brands. And I'm like, why can't you be a scrappy brand person? Scrappy brands get things done. Bigger companies, it's much harder to move bigger boulders. And they're like, well, they must have more resources. They must have figured out like how to just get things done. And I'm like, I'm not saying that they don't. Big companies, 
they say that about kids, little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. It's just a trade-off of which problems and opportunities you feel like you've got the muscle memory to develop, right? Absolutely. And I think today when we talk to brands, right, everyone has the same questions around retail media, AI, digital shelf, ratings and reviews, social commerce, like insert any topic. And the answer is it's all a work in progress. And we're about to hear from Simon Miles at Coca-Cola, arguably, depending on which barometer you're looking at, the biggest brand in the world. And even with them, the most critical work streams all seem to be works in progress. And in some ways, I actually think that's quite beautiful that they're continuously trying to figure things out. Yes, let's listen to Simon. And I think whether you're a big brand, a small brand, whether you've got a lot of influence, whether you've got a lot of control, there are a ton of nuggets from Simon that will help you think about how you can do your job better. Today, we are happy to have Simon Miles, the VP of Global Omnichannel Commercial Strategy at the Coca-Cola Company, which by definition, I think is the biggest brand in the world. Depends which measure you look at, but yeah, we can claim that I think in most places. So hey, great to see you guys. Great to be here today. We're stoked to have you. Simon, I've been getting to know you the past few months, and it's amazing to see the run that you've had at Coca-Cola. I believe you've been there for around 18 years. I know. Is that right? That is right. Yes, 18 years. Do you know, I only joined for four weeks on a temporary contract. So be careful when you, whenever you take on some short-term contracts, what can happen? So yeah, here I am 18 years later. It's amazing. All right. The ROI of that contract is tremendous. <laughs> Those 18 years you've spent outside of Atlanta which it feels unusual for a company that has such a strong headquarters there. What is it like working for one of the world's biggest brands outside of its headquarters? Yeah, I didn't really think about it that way, to be honest with you. But I'm a very frequent visitor to Atlanta, as you can imagine, in the sort of role I have. But, you know, we're a genuinely global company, right? I mean, we're in over 200 countries. You know, we've got some amazing offices around the world. I operate kind of notionally out of the London office, but most of the time I'm I'm here at home or I'm traveling. So actually, when you've got a global role, you know, we're, we're a business that really believes you need to be in market and you need to be close to the consumer. And whilst, you know, there are huge benefits, obviously, to being in our headquarters, actually, I've thrived from being out in the marketplace, out with customers and consumers, kind of trying to understand what's really going on. So, yeah, I think there's pros and cons. Um, I have to tell you, though, some days I do think, boy, it would be easy just to walk around the corner and have a chat with someone. But uh, it's uh, not the way that my career has panned out. You know, I think uh, that just means that you've clearly found a way if uh, a short-term consultancy loan turns into almost two decades, clearly you've found out a way and, and maybe you were probably more prepared when the pandemic hit than others to be able to, you know, operate across borders. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about even just deconstructing your title, if you will, Global Omnichannel Commercial Strategy. Being more on the commercial side, I think, is a phenomenal opportunity as you start seeing shifting ways in the way people consider buying your products. And whether that's a can of Coca-Cola or whether it's a multi-liter pack of water, whatever it is, there's so many different nuances on how people shop, how people buy, whether that's convenience, whether that's in-store, whether that's starting online, ending in-store, etc. Historically, commercial and consumer marketing, if you will, have been operating as silos. But here we are, whether it's the phone or whether it's just acknowledging the fact that there's no such thing as a consumer and a shopper as if they are two totally different humans. 
how are you thinking about your organizational design to evolve with the realities of shopping? Yeah, it's a really good point because, I mean, hasn't it changed? I mean, boy, in the 20 years nearly that I've been around, you know, it has changed fundamentally in terms of how we think about that and how we're able to do things in a different way than before. And and as ever, you know, silos are a big challenge in a big organisation, right? It's hard to get away from that, I think, in, in almost any of the organisations that I've worked with in the past. And it's interesting in the last couple of years, particularly where things like retail media have come to the fore, which is sort of the blurriest of the blurry areas where you really are challenged to make sure you have sales and marketing and media and the agencies all kind of, you know, talking to each other at least. We are fortunate, I think, in some ways that we've always been a very networked organisation. And so rather than keep changing the structure necessarily to overcome some of those things, actually we're finding new ways to work together. In a weird way, the sort of whole COVID thing probably helped us a little bit. People were forced to do that differently, right? Because you couldn't sit there. It wasn't about who you were sitting near or any of those things. It was who you were networking your way with sort of through Zoom calls and the rest. We definitely adopted that sort of networked approach to try and break down some of those silos and break down the ways that we're working together. But quite honestly, it's a real work in progress. And a couple of examples that come to mind, you know, there was a a piece of work we did a year or so ago with the University of Arkansas, where they looked at how retail media networks were developing and what the challenges were and stuff. One of the things they put their finger on was both on the retailer side and on the brand side, you've got these huge silos because, you know, no longer are you sending in the old key account manager to talk to a buyer. You've got to have, you know, the marketing people, the media people and all the rest at the table. So there's silos all over the place to kind of make some of that stuff work in our sort of omni-channel and e-commerce space in particular. But the fundamentals come to, you know, can you get the right people talking to each other? You know, is your communication good? Are you planning, you know, much more kind of sequentially and in a joined up way? And so we spent a lot of time thinking about that rather than necessarily kind of changing the structures too much at this stage. You got to think that that study was secretly sponsored by Walmart. University of Arkansas, retail media. <laughs> I think they're good friends, you know, but we'll see. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure many of the buildings are named there. <laughs> yeah, of course. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. On the topic of retail media, I know you're spending a lot of time there. And when Sarah and I talk with companies as large as Coca-Cola, we find that a lot of conversations around retail media always end in this question, is this driving incrementality? What do you see as the opportunities and pain points right now with retail media globally? Yeah, what a hot topic at the moment. I mean, there's so much kind of discussion around it. And 
Yeah, the, the incrementality one is is always kind of close to the top of the list. But I think what we're spending a lot of time on at the moment is some more sort of fundamental things than that even, which is things like, can we get a common language? Can we get common metrics and understanding of what metrics are important so that you can get to the incrementality question? We're certainly thinking about how do we work with other suppliers and with our retail partners to kind of try and get build that consensus of understanding of what do we mean when we talk retail media networks? You know, how do you attribute the right things so that you get the right metrics and the right measurements in place so that we can start to really understand the return on investment and how the different parts of points of interruption, if you like, on the path to purchase are now available to us in a way that just wasn't a couple of years ago and certainly not, you know, five and 10 years ago. A lot of it at the moment, I think, is about putting those fundamentals in place so that we can drive the incrementality and the opportunity that's there. I think the opportunity is relatively simple and straightforward to articulate in three ways, really. So for consumers, you know, they should be in a position where they're getting much more relevant offers, you know, in a timely fashion that makes their shopping experience better, faster, cheaper, those kind of things. I think for retailers, obviously, there's a big revenue opportunity and monetizing the kind of traffic they have. And brands have a a way of being much more relevant in people's lives and being able to show up at the right moment. So, you know, all those things kind of you get a big tick against, right? But the challenges are the sorts of things we've talked about, which is you can't measure very easily. No one's got a common understanding of it. We don't quite know yet exactly what the right triggers are. And that's very much a work in progress that we're very open about. And and we're trying to work with others to solve that. Um, But what I would say is I think the absolute crux of it is we have to hold on to it's got to be the right thing we're building for consumers here in order for that to work. Because if we don't get it right for our consumers, then we all fail. You know, no one wins in that sort of scenario. So, you know, we're trying to keep very focused on what's right for the consumer at the end of the day and then figure out how we show up in their lives and how we measure the right things. Just given your global seat, Mm -hmm. are you seeing like different levels of maturity across different regions? Is there a certain region where you're like, oh, man, they got this figured out and I think this is going to impact the rest of the ecosystem? Like what, what are you seeing across the world? Yeah, there is real variety. I think if you look at the, the regions, we, we've got nine regions in Coke, so we divide the world up in sort of nine different regions. The, the three that are kind of furthest ahead for us are you know, North America, uh, Europe, and then China. So they're, I think, the most developed. I think, interestingly, when you think about e-commerce, I think Europe was kind of probably leading North America in some ways. We've sort of been playing at it longer, and it was a bit more evolved. But I think in the retail media space, I think North America's ahead of Europe. But some of the really key European retailers, so you think about a Carrefour or a Tesco or a Sainsbury's, those kind of players, they're very advanced. They're getting very advanced and they're, you know, really starting to uh, to work well, I think, with with their proposition. I think, you know, the North American retailers are well-placed. Obviously, Amazon is way out in front. But I think, you know, Walmart, Kroger, Target are all doing a really nice job of putting their proposition together in a way that really starting to make sense. And they're part- starting to partner up in the right way. China's a hard one to go, hey, you know what, let's just copy what China does, because China's such a unique market, right? The way the market develops, the sort of data privacy laws that you couldn't possibly replicate in other countries, and the way that the, the sort of adoption of mobile was much earlier. There's some good reference points, but, you know, joining the dots, that's part of what my job is about. But, you know, to be honest with you, there's lots of pockets of excellence that you come across. So, you know, Australia is, is a really interesting market that, you know, the likes of Woolworths are doing a really nice job. You know, in India, there's some fast developing capabilities in in India, you know, in South Africa, you've got a couple of players. So there are places that perhaps you wouldn't expect to find it, that we look to and we we learn from. And so we've got a very open, as I was talking about, the sort of networked approach that we have from an organizational point of view. We use that network to kind of accelerate our learning and try and bring people together often to say, hey, this is what is really working for us here. And to try and make sure we kind of, you know, accelerate the learning in, in the less developed areas. 
I think that's great. When you think about people that have a, a global role, those roles can often be top-down, this is the way we do things, blah, 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 and then everybody has to go do it. It sounds like you're playing much more of a role of both highlighting the best practices, but also setting the right tone. One of the things that I found one of the most challenging things for people in, in your role is to figure out how to create that translation system. So you talk about the phenomenal opportunities that are happening and the way that your brands are capitalizing, let's say, in Australia. And Australia has a lot of commonalities in the way that people shop with, let's say, I don't know, I'm just going to make it up Canada. And so if you're seeing that, you know, very geographically, just large topography, clustered markets major urban cities. They have a lot of similarities, but they're in different regions. You talk about the nine different regions that you have to support. How do you play a role in connecting the dots saying, hey, I see what you're doing in Walworth. That might be an interesting conversation for you guys to have in Loblaws or something like that versus let's say the US and Canada are in the same region, but markedly different types of markets, right? Yeah, exactly right. It's an interesting challenge that because, you know, it's only me, right? So I can't be everywhere. And so I sort of think of myself more as I'm like the conductor of the orchestra. I can't play all the instruments, right? I've got people in there who are far better at all that kind of stuff than me, right? However, I do get, you know, oversight from everything. And so a big part of, of my role is, is that connection thing and, and spending time with people, understanding. That's why I'm so I'm out traveling all the time so that I can spend time with people in market, looking and understanding of what's going on and then trying to relate the dots back to some other places I've been. And also we host a lot of things, you know, internally. So we have, you know, we have a lot of workshops, we have a lot of sort of learning lunches and, and different sessions that we host where we'll invite people in on certain topic areas and get the markets to present. So I don't tend to present a lot of stuff, a lot of content on that. I get the people in, the ex real experts in to come and do that so that we can share, you know, what good looks like and to sort of coach and, and build out the knowledge uh, amongst the rest of the organization. It's hard work. We host kind of in-person stuff a couple of times a year. We have at least monthly sessions that we will pick a topic and talk through. And then what we did, like, for example, a couple of years back when retail media was first starting to really kind of play a significant role was we kind of took that piece of research, for example, from the university and said, OK, what is that telling us about the gaps that we need to fill? Let's break that down into some kind of work streams. And then we got the group together and said, OK, guys, these are the areas we want to get expertise in. Who's in for, you know, helping us do that? And so we got people in then who are bringing that skill um, and we run that all through sort of virtual teams. And so different people, you know, we're giving people different opportunities to work on different projects and different elements of it, whether it's, you know, metrics, assessment criteria, you know, how you engage customers, whatever it is, and then come back to the center and say, hey, this is the best of our thinking. And what we try and do is keep that live. So this is never once and done. This is the sort of thing you have to keep alive. You have to keep revisiting and you say, okay, this is our best point of view at this point in time, we may have a different view in three months or six months, depending on what's happened. And so we keep all of that kind of learning going. So there's a, an ongoing kind of learning and, and creation process that, that I'm at the sort of center of, if you like, from an e-commerce and, and retail media point of view. You said what good looks like. And I imagine for your C-suite, what good looks like to them has hard financial numbers behind them. When it comes to measuring the effectiveness of the omni-channel investments that the organization is making, how are you getting those results since attribution is often broken down between the digital world that we live in and then the physical world where your products are often purchased? Yeah, Rachel, it's a real challenge that. And it's work in progress, quite honestly, because for exactly what you said, attribution is really hard, particularly in the physical store. 
as to what influenced them, you know, maybe online or, you know, out of store or whatever, and then into that. We're working really hard with a lot of our retail partners to try and figure out the sort of metrics along the way, but also be very focused on the overall outcome. So what I mean by that is, you know, if you think about the kind of classic funnel, if you like, you know, there are certain metrics at different points of the path to purchase or the, or the funnel that, that are important. So it might be, you know, towards the topics like, well, how many people saw my ad? Or it might be, as you get closer, cost per page view, or it might be, you know, how many items are in the basket? And then ultimately, you know, many sales and share numbers. And so starting to sort of pick your way through that and try and understand at each stage, how are we doing with different campaigns is really important. But then ultimately, I think, and certainly when we talk to some of the more senior stakeholders, we have to simplify that. And we have to say, look, We've done the due diligence going through various different parts of the campaign, but ultimately we're looking at things like, you know, our overall basket instance. Are we driving it with that customer, irrespective of where that purchase took place? Or it might be about frequency of purchase. You know, some of our brands, you know, and probably Coca-Cola is a a good example where you have, you know, a relatively small proportion of your overall consumer base who buy very often. And then you have a huge chunk of people who buy into the brand, but not as often. The opportunity there is to turn them into more often purchases. So if we're driving that, we know that's really good news for the brand. And so, you know, I think with the more senior audience, it's more focused on some of those overarching metrics to say, are we through this investment, you know, we trust you to do the kind of pull the right levers and are we getting the right answer at the end? And so it's a combination of those kind of, you know, more detailed things as we go through as we're working it out together with just a, a smaller number of very key metrics and sort of output metrics if you like that we really know are the ones that are going to drive our business ultimately and we will see that in the PL. and so you know it's a tricky one it, it really is we get challenged on it a lot and attribution definitely is the key challenge that we're, we're sort of wrestling with and all i would say it's work in progress you know we, we certainly haven't got all the answers at this stage but we're you know we're getting closer as time goes on oh, that makes total sense follow-up on that one is are there any anecdotes that you might have on how it's been successful? Like it doesn't, you don't even have to name names or markets or brands or anything like that, but how it's been successful in educating. How do you educate people either whether it's in a market or if it's in a function on both the problem statement and your path to getting people to be, as Confucius says, involve me and I will understand. There's a big educational and capability challenge because you know, the talent pool generally is quite shallow in this area. And so we've done a lot of work around how do you increase the knowledge? And I, and I look at it in three ways, really. One is how, how do we influence the senior audience and get them the knowledge that they need to not, you know, in detail know how these things work, but, but know what the importance is and be informed enough to make decisions around, you know, structure, process, resource, that kind of stuff, right? Because that's what you want from them. And then there's the kind of chunk of people who are actually the hands-on people doing this. And we do much more sort of detailed stuff around training and developing them and that they're the people much more involved in those kind of workshops that I was talking about earlier those workshop kind of ideas or work streams play two roles one is it's a much more efficient way of understanding what's working and what's not but it also educates everybody so it's a big educational part of that and then the third chunk is well what about everybody else who just needs a basic understanding of what the heck is going on when I start (laughs) standing up and talking about e-commerce or retail media or whatever Um, and so you know there are things we do you know we've created a digital data academy which is a self-serve kind of part of our kind of capability building um, learning system. So we provide training and and development for those kind of folks as well. And I do a lot sort of personally, so I'll pop up on a lot of different things to try and, you know, coach and and talk about what we're doing. I think you just can't be out there, you know, it's it's one of those things where you just got to over-communicate to kind of get your message across, particularly when it's an area that is new and developing and might have lots of 
jargon in it and those kind of things so it's a it's a constant battle um but it's it's enjoyable it's part of the role that i enjoy the most to be honest with you. it's, it's great fun to kind of you know see that come into fruition and, and we've certainly had some success in you know one region of the world maybe taking the learning from one other market and then applying that in their own unique style that's that's right for their market um, and so we've had a number of kind of different ways that we've seen that come to life which has been wonderful to see that come to life well simon we have to ask you our famous last question which is what's the bravest thing you've ever done yeah this has been keeping me awake for like three nights guys this is like the horror question at the end so <laughs> but it's, it's great great question i mean i think from a personal point of view for me you know i moved my family halfway across the world a few years ago from the uk out to asia to singapore sort of me chasing a job opportunity when i was much younger that felt a really uncomfortable difficult decision to be honest i mean I, my background you know i'm from a very ordinary background you know my dad was a carpenter my mum was a stay-at-home mum i've got three brothers i'm very close with we all lived you know fairly closely together we see a lot of, of each other and then suddenly i uproot you know a few thousand miles again and take my family off to singapore so that felt quite a a brave thing to do at the time i know it's much more common now it doesn't feel like you know earth shattering but certainly at the time that was a big wrench i mean i, I can remember the sort of um difficult conversation I had to have with my mum, for example. I mean, my dad died a long time ago when I was 14. So my mum's on her own. And telling her I was going to move, you know, move away when I had two young children who were her grandchildren. But that kind of stuff just takes some courage, right? And that's a kind of brave thing that people have to do. And I had no idea where that was going to work out. As it was, after a couple of years, it wasn't working out and we came back. But that's fine, you know. And that was another big wrench was to then leave that organisation and say, no, this isn't working for my family. I'm going I'm to go back to the UK and, and restart. So, you know, it was a turbulent time, but interestingly enough, both my wife and I say there are no regrets there at all. If we had our time over again, we would do exactly the same thing. So there you go. Love it. Well, Simon, thank you for your insights. Everyone obviously watches Coke every single day. So you have an amazing global seat to what's happening within the ecosystem. Thanks so much to both of you. But a real, real good time. Thanks very much. Well, if you enjoyed this episode from one of the biggest brands in the world and you want to continue to think big and think small, go check out another big, big brand, Kenview, formerly known as J&J. And you can hear from Channon, who oversees global e-com. And if you want to look at small, though arguably that's also big, you can go hear from Hamid at Liquid Death, one of the fastest growing brands currently in the world. If you enjoy this podcast, tell a friend, give us a review, like us. Thanks for listening. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? 
Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice. Meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.